One of my biggest takeaways with Palm Sunday every single year is that Jesus doesn't do things the way we expect. You know, Jesus, when we think of him and everything that his good word teaches us about him, he plays the long game. You know, there's no get get rich quick in the faith kind of scheme with Jesus. There's rarely instant gratification when it comes to our walk with God. I like to think if Jesus were walking amongst us now and living with our modern-day struggles and he had to choose between a slow cooker or an instant pot, I think he'd go slow cooker every time. He likes things to simmer. He likes things to marinate. He likes you to drool, wondering if it's good and ready to eat. And he'll say, not quite yet. It takes some time. Frankly, it's completely impossible for us to fully grasp God's ways and how they're different from our own. You know, I think of Miles, my five-year-old. He was up here, one of the, the kiddos up here. He really wants to go to Disney World, like really bad, like most five-year-olds. And so he says, well, we just have some, just, just, we just go. And he says, well, it costs money. Oh, I have some money. Take it for my piggy bank. I'm like, it's not quite enough money, bud. And so we now have this coin jar that he proclaimed on his own, this is our Disney jar. And when this jar gets full, we'll be able to go to Disney. It's like a little growler, just a mini one. It's about a fourth full. If it fills up on a good day, if there's a lot of quarters, maybe 50 bucks, feeling pretty good. And he is determined to know. He, he believes. Once that's full, we're going to Disney. Say, son, I'm a pastor. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. It'll take a little more time for us to save up to go to Disney. You see, he has a little concept of money, but he doesn't have the full concept of money. And so he can't fully grasp what it takes for us, a family of five, to go to Disney. It's a little bit bigger and broader than a jar being full. And that reminds me of how we have very little understanding of God's eternal perspective and plan. We understand some of it, no doubt. And we definitely understand God because he's allowed us to, to know him through his word, through his other's testimony, through what we read and sing and proclaim about him. But in the grand scheme of God and his ways and his path, it's very small. It's very minute. And so in our, in our perspective, trying to understand him, this side of heaven is so challenging because we will never really fully understand why things are the way they are. We can guess, but we can't fully know. And so what happens? We mess up. Others mess up. We hurt others and we get hurt. And that's all a part of this human experience. And a lot of times we just get so frustrated because we can't understand why all this happens. And if this past five weeks has taught us anything, we acknowledge that God still calls us to do the hard work of forgiveness despite the difficulty of this life. So even when we can't see why things have happened or see how he is reclaiming it all for our good, he still calls us to this good work. And we've done a lot of deep work together in these five weeks. For some of you, it may have brought to the surface some pains that you want to stay hidden, that you want to be buried, that you don't want to deal with. I pray that God is being gracious to you in that space. And we don't minimize those pains whatsoever. Your pain is real. It is true. 
So we want to just name that and acknowledge that. While also going to God's word that assures us that God never wastes a hurt. He never wastes it. This is the beauty of God. Though he's given us free will, so sin can affect us and we will mess up in all of this, he is constantly at work working all things out for the good of those who love and trust him. And he also works all things out to his own glory. He is the great redeemer. He can take things that are broken and make them beautiful. And so that hurt, that pain that you have in your life that is real, he will not allow that to become only a negative thing. Something beautiful will come from it. Because that's how God works. Even if we don't have eyes to see, or how the mind to understand why all this has happened in our lives, we can trust he is redeeming it and making something beautiful out of that brokenness. So let's remember some of our key takeaways from the past few weeks before we ground ourselves in God's word and finish up our series. First, if you remember, forgiveness is like a hose, right? The forgiveness flows from God. It is a gift of God, and he flows his forgiveness to us, and we get to receive and accept his forgiveness. But if you remember forgiveness, it's a hose. It's not a bucket. We're not called to just hang on to that forgiveness and do nothing with it. We are called to extend that forgiveness. Because God's forgiveness flows to us, it has to flow through us to those who have hurt or wronged us. Forgiveness is like a hose. But it's also a decision and a process. You know, we can't just say, boom, I forgive you, done deal. That'd be nice. It doesn't always work that way. It's both a decision and a process. It's a decisive decision to say, I choose to forgive, while acknowledging it often takes a long time for that to become reality. And then sometimes in our forgiveness hose, we get a little scared. We get a little freaked out. We get a little worried. Something stops us from extending that forgiveness to others. Those are our forgiveness hose, uh, the kinks in our hose. And those are often bitterness, pride, fear, and judgment. The things that stand between us and the healing of forgiveness and that affect every single area of our lives. Those things are like poison that spreads. And so we want to find those things, name them, and eliminate them to move on, to bask and extend forgiveness. And then we talked about reconciliation, like, do I have to confront the person who's hurt me? And as we wrestled with that, we named and acknowledged that as much as it is possible and up to us, we seek to be at peace with everyone. However, sometimes it isn't possible. Sometimes the other person isn't willing to reconcile. Sometimes they might not even be around, and other times it may not be safe to do that. So we reconcile when possible and safe. But even if not, do we still forgive? Always. Always. And finally, last week we talked about before being able to make peace with others, we also have to find peace in ourselves. We can't cast any stones because we are not without sin. We're not without fault. We have to own and name our own stuff, the planks in our eye, and be honest with ourselves. We even talked about this idea of forgiving ourselves, which truly isn't possible because only God can forgive sins. So it's more so we have to accept the forgiveness that God has given us. Do we accept it and trust that he has forgiven us? And we've worked through those feelings of shame and guilt. 
whoa, that's a lot of stuff we've been through in four weeks. And now in the fifth week, we're putting a bow on this series. And we do so with this truth in mind. The work of forgiveness, it is for all of us, whether we think it is or not. Call yourself a Christian, this is your good work to forgive. Just as bitterness, anger, pride, spirit of judgment can seep into every area of our lives, so will forgiveness. When we live fully forgiven and practicing forgiveness, it has the power to heal every area of our lives. It is a pathway for God to do his work. That's why we've spent this long time on this multifaceted topic because it's complex, it's complicated, it deals with heavy stuff. But we long to have a mature practice of it. And so to, to, to move on from that childhood view and understanding of forgiveness that some of us still hang on to. Lisa Turkhurst, who wrote the book, Forgiving What You Can't Forget, that we've read uh, in connection to this series, has this quote where she says, Maturity isn't the absence of hard stuff. Maturity is the evidence that a person allowed the hard stuff to work for them rather than against them. Have you ever seen someone hold a grudge in a mature fashion? Oh, wow. They're really showing a lot of maturity in how they're holding that grudge. (laughs) No, all of us know because all of us have held grudges and been called out on it and maybe reflected later or perhaps even seen it in other people. When you're holding on to a grudge, it often comes off as childish. And frankly, that's because it kind of is. If we're honest, you see, holding on to unforgiveness— It allows that hurt to keep on hurting us. And it brings out nasty stuff in us. Holding on actively works against us as we stop God from doing the redeeming work that he is trying to accomplish in that particular area of our lives. You could say it's a less mature approach that none of us desire to live into with forgiveness because we want to grow up and be mature in this practice. That's our hope to do all we can to turn this journey into an opportunity for more, for fullness, for healing and wholeness. Have you also noticed that forgiveness is almost always reactive? Something has to happen, and then we're entering into the messy work of forgiveness. It's often reactive. Depends on something else happening. Except When we think about God, it wasn't that way for God, was it? When Christ died, he died for all of our sins. To extend that gift of forgiveness for all who would claim it. He he did that. He died for you and your sins, and you had not been born for thousands of years. And yet he did that for you, for your sins. And when he died, he did so for the sins of the whole world, not just for you, but the whole world, sins past, present, and future, if only we accept that gift. So what would it look like for us to embrace a daily practice of forgiveness? Lisa says the best time to forgive is before we're even ever offended, and then the next best time is to forgive right now. So that's what we're unpacking the rest of our time together this morning. A few weeks back, we looked at the Lord's Prayer. 
It's how Jesus models for us and teaches us to pray. And he gave us this model as a tool on how to pray daily. And if you remember, he gives a lot of attention to forgiveness within that prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so if God forgives our past, present, and future sins, we're called to perhaps extend the same. We're talking about this idea of an anticipatory forgiveness or a proactive forgiveness instead of reactive. Now think of it this way. Have you ever gone into a situation fully prepared to be let down? There's a restaurant in town. I love this restaurant, and the service is terrible. But I like their food. And so I'll get takeout from them a lot. And I'm a guy who likes sauce and extra sauce. So I often order extra sauce. And almost every single time, they charge me and forget to give me my extra sauce. Like a wounded puppy, I go back. Time and time again. And part of it's my own fault too, right? Because I never check in the bag. I'm too busy just like, oh, thanks, and, and moving on. And I get home, I'm like, oh, they forgot the sauce again. So I go in anticipating them to forget the sauce. And I almost like, I, I remember one time, I'm like, I'm going to check. And if, if there's no sauce in there, I'm going to tell them all the times before they haven't given me sauce. <laughs> I went in anticipating the bad, right? And prepared to allow my nastiness to spew out because of that. Maybe that resonates with you. So how do we live into this idea of anticipating opportunities for forgiveness instead of opportunities to hold grudges? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to stay humble. Not one of us was without sin. We have to be humble enough to admit and confess where we need God's forgiveness in our own lives talked about this throughout the series. It's what Jesus talked about last week when well, he who is without sin cast his first stone. So if we accept and admit that we need God's forgiveness, we still remember that's only half of the forgiveness equation because we also are called to extend forgiveness. And so we also daily need to do the hard work of forgiving others because we do not want to be a bucket. We want to be a hose. So whatever wrong has happened in us, we have to prepare and daily go before the throne, offering that up to God in forgiveness. Lisa, in her book, uses this imagery of keeping our hearts swept clean. Anyone ever cleaned their house here before? Two people have cleaned their house. I'm concerned about the rest of you. Deeply concerned. (laughs) Kidding. So if you have hardwood floors... You know, like, if you keep up on sweeping your floors, it's pretty easy to maintain, isn't it, for the most part? Even with toddlers and dogs and all that, it might be a lot you sweep up. But every single day, if you stay on top of it, not so bad. You start to let it go, though, that's a different story. Now, if you have a hardwood floor in your bedroom, I'm curious when the last time you swept under your bed was hypothetically and not at all based in any kind of lived experience recently, uh, imagine you looked under your bed because maybe you dropped something, and you look down there and there's like a golem of fur just living and somehow breathing underneath your bed. It looks like your dog multiplied and is dead underneath 
your bed, laying there in these tumbleweeds of dust. If we don't stay up on it, it will build up, and it will be a mess to clean. Except it will probably be your wife who cleans it and takes care of it because your wife is probably awesome. Hypothetically speaking, of course, this whole story. It's this idea of soul tidying. If we let things go, it gets messy really quick. If we stay up on it daily, it's a lot easier to take care of. Keeping our hearts swept clean, it prevents the enemy from slipping in to whatever tiny seed of bitterness or anger or frustration we may have within us. It prevents the enemy, enemy from seeping in there and growing it into, be, into us becoming a bitter person. So instead of being someone who has a little bit of bitterness, if we don't deal with that, all of a sudden we'll become a bitter person. And just like we talked about, it skews everything. It's like putting on sunglasses or normal glasses that are really smudged. You can try and look past it all you want, but it affects everything. So let's go to God's Word in Ephesians 4 and see what it has for us. We're going to spend some time in a few different passages here. This is what it says in Ephesians 4. In your anger, do not sin. Quick reflection on that. That means... We can be angry and not sin. It is possible. We've seen Jesus do it. He has never sinned, and we know he gets angry. Hard thing is, humans are poor vessels for anger, so often our anger will lead to sin. But if we are angry, it is important not to sin. So how do we do that? By not letting the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You ever gone to bed angry? Sometimes you wake up feeling better. Sometimes you're more angry. Have you ever gone to bed angry, woken up angry, and then your anger compounds itself because you're angry you got a poor night's sleep and so now you're just in a foul mood and then your foulness affects your whole family or those you're around your co-workers or classmates bitterness is this poison that seeps into every area of our life it will corrupt everything and so he is saying here that when that happens it gives the devil a foothold it's like this open door for the enemy to just come into our heart and make it his playground If you remember our last series through James, you'll remember this verse, submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. As we draw close to God, as we daily rest in his presence and pray with him and commune with him and offer up this forgiveness, we receive his power to combat these things gives us power to resist the devil who wants nothing more than to break into our lives and corrupt everything. And I dare say, what better way to resist the devil than using the very power of forgiveness that was ultimately his undoing? 
Unforgiveness is the devil's playground, but the devil has no foothold in the cleansing waters of forgiveness. He has not received forgiveness. He has no repentance within him. He cannot even comprehend the idea of forgiveness. Just like God can't stand sin, Satan can't stand redemption. So we should be seeking redemption at all costs and all things. And in case this hasn't been hammered home enough, here's another passage from 1 Peter 5. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that in your humility he might lift you up in due time. That means according to his plan, not your timing, but his time. You cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And so be alert, be aware, be awake to what's going on, and of sober mind. Meaning don't be clouded in your anger or your bitterness or your frustration. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We can open ourselves up to let the prowling lion have his way, or we can do the hard work to eliminate that foothold and then be in a strong place to help our brothers and sisters who are also hurting be strong so that the devil won't have their way in them either. And this also gives us the reminder that those who hurt us are actually deeply hurt themselves. We don't like to admit that, but that's the reality. Behind every hurting action is a hurting person. And so this helps us separate us from, instead of saying, that person hurt me, to saying, that person in their sin, because of their wrestling with sin, hurt me. It doesn't justify the hurt, but it helps us see them a little bit more with kingdom perspective kind of makes me think of the reality. We can say, I may not like you, I may not love you, but I can still forgive you. Because forgiveness is an intentional act against Satan, and it's an overwhelming victory for our king and his kingdom. We know forgiveness is a gift we give to ourselves, and, and it doesn't release that person from the justice that is due. God will handle them justly and mercifully as is appropriate. But it is an act against Satan who tries to bring us down. So we should seek it at all costs. So what are we going to do? We are going to daily seek our Lord who saves us. We're going to say, Hosanna, praise you, Lord, because you have been good to me, and I need you to save me from this again. And I trust you will because you are good. We're going to daily do the act and live a life of forgiveness. It's the hard work God commands us to, to release these ties that bind, to eliminate those footholds and not let the devil have his way. Not in us, not today. And so we will guard and protect ourselves by then anticipating and proactively extending forgiveness to be quick to forgive, to be slow to anger, 
and respond to all things in kindness with God's grace and compassion. Instead of believing the worst in people, we'll believe the best about them. And even when they let us down, we will respond to bad things with goodness. I talked last week about Jesus being slippery. It's a weird thing to say, but he was. He slipped away from the crowds a lot. He's hard to pin down. I think we should be slippery like Jesus too. That when these hardships come our way, to let them roll off of us as much as it is possible. To not jump to judgment. And when our emotions do flare up, because we're all humans, instead of acting in that emotional place, we pay attention to our emotions, because those are warning signs telling us something is wrong. So we do the hard soul work, and we carry that to a God who cares deeply for us. And then when we wake up in the morning, we ask God to prepare our hearts for whatever hurts or troubles may come our way. And when we lay down our head at night, before sleep, we again return to him and seek a heart of forgiveness for whatever happened that day. Fixating our hearts on our hurt often leads to sin. But fixating our hearts on God while offering him our hurts, we can trust that God will meet us in that space every time. Through prayer, God can take our mess of emotions and somehow, some way, like the great pressure that makes a diamond, can make something beautiful and give us peace again. We also know that forgiveness breeds hope. Maybe you've seen those stories on Facebook or the news or maybe someplace that shows happier things where someone extends forgiveness when it's least expected. Perhaps it's in a courtroom, the, the spouse or the sibling of someone who was killed saying to their assailant, I forgive you. I'm hurt. I'm broken. I lost my loved one. But God told me to forgive and I forgive you. You watch that, you will be moved. No doubt, forgiveness breeds hope. It is so countercultural that people automatically have to consider what does this mean. And there is no mistake, we here are called Hope Church because it is our desire to be dealers in hope. So as we forgive, we might give others a taste of the eternal hope we have in God. So our challenge today is to daily live out a life of forgiveness. Not just waiting for something to happen, but to every single day go to God sincerely with a repentant heart and receive his forgiveness and his grace. And then to intentionally make the choice every day to forgive whatever wrong comes our way. It's a decision. It's a process. It's not always easy but intentionally decide to not let unforgiveness chain you down. And as we seek to live free and forgiven and forgiving, may we share and spread hope through a life of forgiveness because God has forgiven greatly, so we long to live for him, having experienced that gift. May it be true for all of us, each one of us, as we proclaim Hosanna. Praise be to you. Save us so that we may be filled with hope and extend hope. Amen. Let's pray. God of grace, you are so great to 
extend your forgiveness to the entire world, past, present, and future, Lord. We can't even comprehend the scale of that. But you are so good to do so. And all you ask is for us to come to you and name you Lord, to name you the king of our lives, to have a humble and open heart, and you promise us that you forgive again and again and again. And so we give you thanks, Lord. We thank you for this deep dive on this complicated topic. And I pray, Lord, that what we have learned through our time here will take root, that we will be changed people, that we will seek to live more into our forgiven identity by being forgiving people. And we do that with the full knowledge, Lord, that this is not an easy command you've called us to, but because you've asked it of us, we trust and proclaim it is good and it is right. So we pray, Lord, that we may rely on your power of your spirit because we can't do this on our own. Only you can. So may we walk with you daily, Lord, going as you lead, as the spirit leads, seeking you in all things and letting go of the offenses that come our way and pointing always back to you. God, your love is so great your power is so great that you have done this. And indeed, the entire earth proclaims your goodness. And so we join our voices to that truth today. We love you, Lord. Pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen.